Welcome to Rise and Rouse, a podcast for people who give a damn. Thank you to everyone who has tuned in so far. I'm getting so many texts, DMs, and emails from all of you telling me how much fun you're having listening to each episode. This is your host, Erin Allgood, social impact strategist, consultant, and abstract artist. Maybe someday I'll give an Instagram tour of my apartment and you'll see my paintings covering every wall. Creative expression is both sacred and liberating for me. This week on Rise and Rouse, you'll hear my conversation with Yasmin Safardizeh, who is an artist and program director at Kimball Jenkins in Concord, New Hampshire. Her work goes beyond practice and is a celebration, a tool of resistance, and a means of building community. She is a force to be reckoned with. We talk about what it means to remove the various masks we wear through art and how this helps us authentically connect to make meaningful change. I hope you feel energized as you listen to Yaz and her story. So today I'm talking with Yasmin Safar Zadeh, who is an Angelino, Persian-American, and transplant to New England. She celebrates the intersections of cultural identities and strives to create safe spaces where an individual's sense of self can be discovered instead of being forced to mimic due to people's inherent need to survive. I'm going to stop there because I there's so much more in this bio that we could go through. And I think that it's going to be really fun for us, for you, for folks to hear that in your in your words. I want to say I really appreciate you taking the time to do the annunciation because I think that a lot of people like I was on a radio interview previously where a man refused to say my name on the radio. And he said, I think he thought he was being woke or uh, an ally. He said, well, I'm just a straight white dude, so I don't want to say it. And that wasn't that. That was perpetuating systems of oppression by not saying my name, the name that I am called, you know. And so um, I I really, like, love the fact that you did that with me. And also, like, I love this movie Shang-Chi that came out. And they did that in the movie, but between two, like, Chinese-Americans or something. And I just thought that that was so cool that, like, Hollywood verified that we can take time out of a quote-unquote normal conversation to go through the way that we form our mouths. So that's just exciting for me. I think it's one of those, like, most basic ways of being able to respect somebody, you know, is to pronounce your name properly. And I thank you for helping me to to make sure that I said it right, because it's it honors you and, like, who you are as a person. You know what I mean? Like, that's just the basic. (laughs) Did you say say gross? Gross. Gross. I'm being acknowledged as a human being. Ew, I hate that. (laughs) The worst. I know, dude. (laughs) I was like, I think that's the point of your whole podcast. Like, what is this intersection of, like, the arts and justice? That's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And so, I mean, and my work is, like, is goes beyond just the arts, like, because I'm working with all sorts of different you know, organizations from food justice organizations to, you know, arts and culture organizations to folks who are doing like harm reduction and all all, reproductive rights, like everything, like across the board. I work with organizations who actually care deeply about doing good shit in the world. And um, and so I help them do better shit, (laughs) I guess, at the core of what I do. So it's like I get to I get to work with all sorts of organizations. But today I want to like talk about like the arts and the work that you do and just your view on everything. And so let's like just let's start with this first this question about art is about removing masks, because that's one of the things we talked about before. And I was just like, that is 
it was it spoke to me on such a deep level. And I wanted to give you some space to be able to talk about what that means to you. Yeah. And I think I definitely like stole that from somebody like probably a professor Donahue out of like uh, Otis or something. Um, And we used to have these back and forths. And so she's like an internationally renowned art critic. And she was very poised, rode horses, had a big ass house. Like she was amazing. And we would go back and forth until like, she was like, my dear, you've exhausted me. And she was like, she, she was like giving me kudos for trying to just keep unearthing and unearthing and unearthing and unearthing until we find like a core of like, literally because space dust is and some space dust is ferromagnetic and some is not and that's from the beginning of everything that was the beginning of this particular universe or whatever I don't know but like so once you like dig these things out I think a lot of I write a lot of papers on like phenomenology so it's just like whatever in an environment of polarization you kind of just want to get to the core of what makes us who we are and how we can find those lines back to each other because seriously we're very simple animals we just need to what's the cussing situation like on this um as much as you want we need to eat sleep and fuck like that's literally like all like you know and so and 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 there are universal rules man you can't be hurting people and so what is that and now we're becoming more and more civilized and more and more literate and now we want more people to become literate because we want more voters we want higher living capacity we want like um everybody to kind of be chill like to not have to dumpster dive unless you're being a hipster and it's cool like we just we actually want that for everybody is that terrible like is that bad so removing masks, you're sort of just digging in on thing. And then I have an issue where I can't put it back on because I'm like, oh, wow, I'm like Super Mario. Like I just went to another level and another level. Why would I go backwards? Some spaces, I guess that's code switching, right? Where you put it back on and you go back to that level and you're like, well, there was a secret passageway that I didn't get, which is grant funding from masking over here at this thing or whatever. I have no clue. But um, so that's what removing masks is uh, I think there's the person that we present to the public and the person that we are in our homes and I get so lonely because when I get people alone we say things to each other and I'm like this is the coolest thing ever and then in public all of a sudden they're totally different or they're lying to themselves or they were mimicking me to survive in that moment to be what I needed to see in order to get what they wanted or in order to like be in that moment existing as well as they could. So I'm not blaming or getting mad. I'm just like, I don't have a need to be somebody else than you saw privately between us. Oh, yeah. I think it's the energy that goes into having to curate a public image is exhausting. When I started about 10 years ago, and I didn't really, things didn't really take off until about five years ago or so when I started working full time in my business. But I remember when that switch happened where I was just like, I don't give a fuck anymore. And I'm not going to try to portray somebody that I'm not. And it just it allowed me to, like, focus my energy on the things I actually cared about than just kind of curating that image. And it was it was so liberating in so many ways. And I'd always been like super real, like, you know, people had always been like known me to be very um, (laughs) honest and, you know, like no bullshit. But it was one of those things where I just I was able to embody it even more. And 
that's when things started to click for me, too. I just didn't have to pretend in that authenticity aspect of things, which I think gets super lost in our day to day lives, I would say, or just just in general, like people care and like in that authenticity resonates with people in a way that like nothing else does. And it's I think like working with teens and stuff, there's okay. so even in like a personal journey, we spend so much time being the person that we think others want to see. And a lot of teens also, like, they act out or act cool or are untrue to themselves because the norm is so suppressingly boring and people hate weird stuff because they want to be it. They can't figure it out. It doesn't fit in a box. And it's like, ugh, don't do Like, I've had so many people be like, like, really derogatorily be like, why are you so weird? And I'm like, ah, I'm so privileged with my community that nobody would ever ask that question. They'd just be like, dude, take your time to be you or whatever. And so so there are moments with with kids, with teens, with YYA, youth and young adult, that we want to create these spaces where they can have the mature, nerdy, immature, whatever that they need to have or feel like they can't express in front of other people. And there's like active moments too, like, especially amongst women it's a competition amongst biological like cis women where they could denigrate each other make fun of each other or put each other down and i had kind of a moment this past summer where i pulled in a few of the kids and i was like so you're showing off for these dudes who are nobody like you're going to be bigger than them like it's not even a thing and the moment that you put your sister down for the entertainment of men you will never be a part of them. Like, I I was a misogynist for many years, like, participating actively in the patriarchy, like, because I needed to be a dude as an artist in order to hang out with the dudes. And it took me years to realize that I was in those circles of men because of my novelty, because of my sex. I was never actually fully absorbed into it. So... You know, that's something that I can communicate to younger people through lived experience and knowing, like, don't betray your own people. What you had said, too, just about actively participating in the patriarchy is something, I mean, we all have to do it. It's the same thing as, like, white supremacy. It's not that we have to participate in it, but we're swimming in it every day. I mean, I don't know. I had a conversation very recently um, with the head of an organization where I was like, your organization is has a recurrent issue with targeting minorities. And immediately the organizational head was like, no, we don't because our security officer is married to a black man and we have this uh, mater- resources on black people and we love black people and we do this. And I kind of just sat there uh, as somebody on the outside and I was like, So you're not giving me space to say what I am reporting out because you've immediately made period sentences. I cannot address the fact that my constituents are having issues if you make a sentence that says we are not racist, period, because we live in systems of oppression. Now, second of all, (laughs) that statement, (laughs) we can't be racist because we're married to a dot, dot, dot is a you cannot be saying that man you cannot be a public figure and saying that crazy outdate like i because my friend is gay so we're cool um you can't do that 
this is, and I, I think I went down to it and I was like, these are all superficial one-liners that you've geared up because you have a fear that you are racist and that is not a problem, all of us. All of us are participating in this oppression. So this is all superficial issues that is relevant to the conversation, that people are feeling targeted. Let's address that. I don't care about any of this A, B, or C, because that's just stuff that you loaded up. You loaded it up. You had it ready to go. You didn't give me space to be like, people are feeling. This is what it is. Let's help them not feel. Mm. I've been thinking about, like, toxic perfectionism, toxic positivity, and like how organizations just are super interested in portraying that. Um, <laughs> I love this so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I see like good vibes only, I'm just like, oh, I <laughs> run That's the other the way. One. I don't like drama. I love drama. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And people just and so there's, you know, I've I've just been thinking about it a lot because I'm like, there's no way to allow for any nuance, for any darkness to like be able to explore the darkness. There's no way to there's nowhere to grow from there. Like when you're just like, oh, good vibes only. That's like the that becomes your baseline. And you're just like one it anything you perceive as being like uncomfortable, you know, then becomes the thing that you like you avoid it. Like the like, organization like, you're talking about. Yeah. I like what you say about nuance. and the, But that takes a lot of information. Um, and I feel perhaps maybe that people think of information and data as content that's being created to be consumed um, by everybody. The internet has a tier system. And that's really sad because you do have to pay for good content. And um, people who are trumpeting like bastions of knowledge off Twitter or whatever, or Reddit, that's actually not verifiable platforms. So it's 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 not anybody's fault. People are doing their damnedest to consume information, but we need to make delineations about verifiable data. Like, it's just like teaching critical thinking abilities, maybe. It's, it's probably people's distrust of the institutions. So they're like, I'm going to Sarah Palin out of here and get my information from the school of Jordan Peterson. <laughs> like, come back. <laughs> we miss you. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. I had a friend's husband before I knew anything about Jordan Peterson. A friend's husband told me, um, oh, you should check out Jordan Peterson. And because he knew I was a feminist. And I'm like, oh, OK. And then I checked it out and I was like, oh, now I understand what her husband is actually like all about. Bro, like it, it broke my heart. <laughs> this this hand that people can't see because they're listening has shaken Joe Rogan's hand twice and Jordan Peterson's hand. So, like I said, recovering, recovering misogynists over here. Like, like I, I went there, man. I was like around incels. But so how did that how did it break? Like, how did you break yourself away from that? The fucking Kool-Aid. It's like you get you get addicted I mean, to I, it. I was being isolated. I was also like drinking every day. So it didn't matter. Like self-medication. Um, also, like it's, it's super abusive relationships. Right. When you're with an oppressor and as an artist, there's something inside of me that I can't be happy or experience equilibrium if there is a environmental issue that I'm in. So I, I am. For as much as I love rationale, like I very much go by um, my body betrays me. And so I'm drinking all the time. I'm violent. I'm whatever. He's 
having sex with other people. I'm having sex with other people. It just blew up. Like we moved to New Hampshire because I had no clue that this was like the libertarian bastion of the. I had no idea. I was just. He's like, I want to go to Arizona. I'm like, no, because that's stupid. But um, I got accepted to a school in New Hampshire, and he's like, oh, very cool. I'm like, okay, let's go. Um, yeah. And so it just it kind of blew up. Like I was. I was abusive. He was abusive. It was totally insane. It was like madness. Like I didn't want to be alive. Um, I was miserable and he just disappeared one day. Um, that was kind of great. It was obviously way more difficult than like when you're in a abusive relationship and that's all you know, the loneliness, the isolation. Like I had a cat. He was probably the only reason why I, like, stayed alive, where I was like, first of all, my mom would die of a heart attack if I killed myself, and second of all, I gotta take care of Hobbs. Yeah, and then, I don't know, I just wrote about this. Um, people kept believing in me for some reason. Like, there are champions of myself as an artist. In Los Angeles, there was one. In Sacramento, there was one. Out here, there's a few. And they just kept giving me, like, really amazing work that was, like, storytelling or mural making or um facilitating like tutoring after school tutoring for you know new americans like it was just like this weird stuff i started to find somebody that i buried a long time ago she was like totally different than the kid that went to ground like totally but there were pieces in there that I was so happy to like bring back and I was making artwork again. You have to find that. It's not something so easy. Like, cause there's so many years again, like especially in grad school or undergrad where your professors or mentors want you to make the artwork that they want to see. So that's totally that. And then you make artwork that you're like, well, I love these white men that I, and women that I, that we were taught. And then you're just like, what if, like, I love Trenton Doyle Hancock right now. Like, I'm obsessed with him. And he does these giant installations. And it's, it's like comic books, but made into massive fine art, quote unquote, because we have all these delineations. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just finding, finding yourself again and, and wanting to be alive for some reason. That's like a really hard one when you're really alone. There was nobody here. And like, the reason to keep going is literally because if you don't, you will be out on the streets. Like there's stuff like that too, where I kind of didn't even have a moment to stop because rent prices are increasing. I have to pay for all this shit. There's winter and that requires like clothing. Uh, that's crazy. Heat, it requires, um, you cannot stop as a poor kid. Like otherwise you die. Like there's no, there's no convenience of really the existential crisis coming into manifestation because at the end of the day, man, you just got to make rent. There's like the needing to continue on because if you stop, like everything falls apart, which I totally get that, you know. And then there's also the simultaneously like needing to find your own, like who you are, like in the depths of that in order to be able to kind of to then to believe that like you deserve to continue going on. Like everybody yeah. deserves to go yes. on. Like, I, yeah, right. but that's kind of, yeah. The, both of, go ahead. Well, I mean, I don't know. I also really want to like press on community. Like there are people the whole time that have for some reason been there and we've built this amazing community together. And when I find there's a lot of transplants or there's a lot of kids that are coming up and I pull them in and they go, 
I didn't know that this existed. It's, oh my God, I thought I was alone for so long. And then you're like, we're here. And so you're just building this network out, which is super important. And again, to take it back to like the work with teens or underserved populations, it's not enough to just create an art workshop. Who gives a fuck? Oh, cool. You made an art piece that looks like the art piece of the oppressors or whatever, and then go back home with your shitty art piece. Like, who cares? It's really about creating sustaining programming and a network. And for a lot of us, it's about how do you then develop professional skills such that you can actually exploit yourself for money? <laughs> like, and not, you know, I always say, like, you know, like, how do you turn this into a product? How do you sell this? How do you talk about yourself? How do you code switch? Like, that's important sustainable like for a lot of us lost the only thing that i knew is that i would lose everything and i would be alone again and that's the only thing i can rely on but like now i'm starting to realize like i can rely on a community i can rely on my people but that's so hard to establish especially for somebody who is in a constant universe of loss the community pieces you know i've i've gone I keep every time I think about like, can I still continue to live in Dover <laughs> because it's like getting so expensive. And then that's when I start to think about like if I left this community, just, I mean, and like community is physical spaces. It's, you know, it's it's beyond that, though. It's not just just this place per se, but like there's no recreating it in another place readily, easily. And one of the things you had talked about before was just this idea of being intentional about building community and like who you're bringing into your sphere and that it's okay to be alone for a period of time while you're kind of making that you're you're creating what you what you need to be around you and the kind in the in the community you like want to surround yourself with so just yeah talk to me a little bit about community and what that means for you i express to people that i am everybody's friend all the time. New Hampshire is way too small to hold a grudge. And if you do hold a grudge, just keep it right over here. And you know, and your homies know. And if you fucked up, trust it's coming to you. Like, we know who you are. <laughs> and like, we're growing. Our generation is now becoming the money. Our generation is now becoming the politicians. So you fucked up. Like, it's over, but that's, and that's fine. Um, so there's many faces of, like, who I am. Publicly, I'm everybody's friend. I Again, I open the doors for everybody. Like, it's we're talking inclusive programming and spaces. Um, privately, it takes such a long time to make a friend. I'm very good at making somebody feel like the center of the universe for the time being. I think, Erin, you have that ability as well. Um, so that's really difficult to like actually have realness so and I don't have that often because I'm very I am a very public person but that's just a persona it's like consistently having people in my life is not um a norm and that's something I have to work on to trust people and to let them see me and to not expect every interaction to be, like, fun all the time. But I, I know, yeah, I kind of went away from the question because I wanted to excavate, like, faults or shortcomings in myself a little bit. 
which is like part of that, like the anti good vibes only, like <laughs> the kind of thing too. Is like we've got our we've got our shit that we carry, and if we don't confront it, then it just it just festers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, that like it's not that life is boring. It's just like I for me, I I want everything to be at a hundred all the time, and that's just because I want to have fun. Like I want to be jumping off of buildings and I want to like go diving and I I want everything to be like, yeah, like, but (laughs) it's like, like I now also find an immense pleasure from making an Excel sheet and doing the, the deep dive into like finding out how much programming costs and planning that out for the year. So I'm not like, like this summer I was dying like there was so much and I'm like okay well if I actually take time to plan I could have like more equilibrium and balance and so pace is nice like it's fine to come home in my personal life and just like chill I'm someone who's like recovering from going 100 percent at all times (laughs) <laughs> that was how the podcast was born was because I had like a slow period and I was like, let's start a podcast. <laughs> like this is this is what I'm gonna do now. Um but it's like And you, you part- have to do it. Like good for you for doing something. Who cares? Like yes, good. Great. It was I you know, the thing about it too though was just that I I recognized by going a hundred percent all the time. Like I couldn't I wasn't able to process i wasn't able to like let something i wasn't able to be creative um quite uh, honestly it's um it's like like all these cool things and then i go man there's no pool paintings that you haven't even like you have a potential client and like homie we're that's dude like i haven't been home like my dude is like he's like I've been cleaning the litter boxes and all of this. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. I take care of the arrow gardens at three o'clock in the morning when I have a moment to breathe. And he's like, I know. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, But it's terrible, though, because now the animals, like, I'm not hanging out with them. And, like, maybe I want a kid. And I'm like, how how am I going to actually spend the good amount of time being with a kid when I can't even, like, be home to have that with my partner or my animals or like the gut or the house like so like so why why do you feel like you're not spending time there because i just started pioneering a residency program at waypoint (laughs) like it's the state's first youth uh shelter and like i'm so excited because there's like a writing incubator with manchester inkling so like teenagers are like publishing their own work and getting paid for it i started a satellite gallery with the manchester chamber of commerce there's so much fun to have and that's the hundred right where you're like okay but it's not sustainable though dude so like whatever like you had this thing and i'm a sick bitch too because i'm like i was taught get that shit on your cv and resume and then there's a ticket is a fake you just put that in front of people and you go those are the things that i've done nobody's asking follow-up questions which is like well how long did it last how is it sustainable who was that you know because you do have people that you can hit up and be like tell me how it impacted your life to have that or show me that you made money doing that but is it consistent though um so that's again me being critical and being like how are you gonna have a long-lasting impact here to be fair, you are having like a long lasting impact already. I mean, being doing the work with Waypoint is 
like kicks ass. Like that's I, I haven't even started. Yeah. It's on Monday. But okay, you see, but like nobody knows. Yeah. Like I could just say some shit to you and you're like, oh, amazing job. And I'm like, we need accountability for our people that are on the ground making this work, right? And I'm one of I'm one that I'm like, look at me. I'm inviting you in. Like, I'll show you the paperwork. I'll you come under the ground, help me out with the programming so you can actually see it. But other spaces, like I've had to sign NDAs for spaces that didn't work. I saw paperwork doctored. Like, so where's the accountability in all this? This is why we get a bad rap. Like, we need longevity. The grant funding is going into these spaces. There's no accountability. And then how do we also verify that it's working without it being this like notion of an Excel sheet that's being populated? Where's the documentation? And where are the variables of rating success based on like the multitudinous cultures that we have in our region? So I know everybody's like, New Hampshire is so homogenous, but it's like, well, we have a really rich population moving in and the numbers are so where I live, the people that I deal with is a lot uh, different. So I need that to be verified. Yeah, because you're taking money that is meant to benefit people for that work. And, you know, the big companies that are like, well, we did a good job because we hired this person or we did that so they can continue their systems of oppression. And I'm, I just is like can just say that they did it so i mean that's it whatever like we we take that money from these corporations it doesn't matter so there's no checks there's no you know i don't know if that makes sense yeah i mean it's like it's so rampant in the nonprofit sector right like everybody's like perform so much just to get the money and then once you get the money people are i mean there's all sorts of reasons why programs don't go off the way we think they're gonna but like you know, because their folks are actually understaffed and can't actually pull that off or like the population isn't there. Yeah. I again, I was at like, again, Leadership New Hampshire and it's like people in the education field were presenting. So you had people like Tina Philobot, who's everything. She's amazing. Present. And then you have this guy and he's part of these like think tank people that are defunding the schools and making these like fake like competency but I don't know what it is it's just not working and so like you know uh when asked what organization are you partnering with he's like oh we're just making this stuff up and you're like why are you making stuff up and getting it passed without going on the ground and identifying my turn waypoint um MCAC like these are organizations that are on the ground they have liaisons they are from the demographics that we're trying to help and you're not working with them. You want to just create new shit and just superimpose it on top of teachers who are leaving the school system by the droves. Are you hanging out with the homies? If you're hanging out with me on the ground with the kids or any of these organizations, again, my turn is an amazing organization that's doing it. I've never seen you around. I've never seen you on the ground. The motherfucker puts his hand on my back, rubs it, and he goes, I'll shoot balls with you at any point. Like, I, because I had a basketball, I was so bored. But, like, no, like, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you've been. And I don't know why you're making rules and regulations on the bodies of our youth when you're not there. That's crazy. That's like a motherfucker telling me I can't have birth control. It feels like a different, like a new, not new, it's certainly not a new form of like colonization, but it's a form of colonization. You know what I mean? It's all of the, the oppressor's values without like understanding like the on the ground 
stuff. Like it's just kind of like you said, superimposed onto everything. It's it's I keep taking this from because of what's going on in Iran right now. Like hundreds of women are being shot and killed, and because they want uh, what is that weird equal rights? Okay, um, it's like the popular the government wants a stupid body of people. They want a body of people that's angry, that doesn't have access to higher education in whatever form it takes. It doesn't have to be a four-year college. Um, just access to good information. Again, the internet is a tiered system. They want to perpetuate bad information. They want people to be hungry, to eat bad food. They want us to be stupid and fighting here on the ground. So I'm fighting with a homie. We're both blue collar. Why? Why am I? I like my hunter friends. I like my fisherman captain people like they're awesome. But I see posts about Hillary's emails and I'm I'm like purposely not talking to him about it so we could just talk about our work to each other. And he knows I'm tight. I'm getting meat that he's shooting. He's getting paintings. That's a cool ass relationship. We don't need to fight down here. They want us to fight so that they can keep getting ratings and have a broken system and we're losing a culture war because we're so consumed with this like bad binary that is the interaction with social media. I took a coding class for fun just because I wanted to understand like what the hell it is. It's all binaries. So it literally inherently the system that we're buying into is a binary system. And there are ways to make elegant code. Nobody's going to pay for that. So everything needs to be black and white for anyway. I got to stop. I've gone like down the rabbit hole inter in, like on the binary of in computer programming and like complexity theory and all that jazz. Like so that's like a thing we could talk about at some point. I got like so deep into it for a paper for grad school at one point. And I yeah, was just, yeah. But that's part of it is like we're trying we oftentimes try to like use existing I don't even just models and shit like that to like try to portray like complexity. And like you can do that mathematically but doing it mathematically still you lose the nuance and you lose the thread complexity is should not be broken down to just like its individual pieces i guess because we lose something we i mean there's the again why are you so weird because you don't fit in this box so there's a need again it's a survival thing like i'm trying you know hateful language is really hard like it's really hard to be positive but it's worth it because it takes a lot more energy to hate on people and to keep concentrating on that than it does to be like, fuck, I'm sorry that it is true. All you're trying to do is survive. And this is like the simplest way to survive. And out of the crazy that is the universe, antagonizing people, finding a scapegoat is so much easier than like being uncertain. That's so scary. Like as an atheist also, I get it, dude, the scariest moment. I think I've had a few more since then, but of my youth was sort of sitting there and going, I don't think there is a God. And I was in like middle school or some shit. Like my dad's a fanatic atheist, but I was like, I don't think there is a God. And then there's that infinite darkness that is the universe. And when you die, that's it. And that is so scary. One of my friends, like you'll totally get a kick out of this, I think. My friend Bao and I talk about this. There's this, an article and I'll, I can send it to you. I never get it right, but it's something about like life in the death of the Anthropocene. So like the Anthropocene being our like the period we're in right now, like the like human civilization because of the climate crisis, because of all these things. Like it's this idea of like our existence 
what what impact do we have when we know that like our existence is not certain in this moment so why keep showing up why keep continuing on I mean, that's the whole, like, what's the purpose? Like, what? I mean, and I I wish also, like, some people are like, man, I just, like, woke up and I go to work and I'm like, this is what I do. And I'm like, ah, oh, you're so, you're so like, yeah, that's so awesome. I had to give myself purpose and then believe it. And then do my sister, we have this conversation all the time. She's like a brilliant little writer. I call her little because she's smaller than me. Um, she's my baby sis. But I want her to believe in herself and invest time in it. And to keep making junk work until one day it's good. And you have to just keep doing it because at one point you believe that something will happen. And I'll tell you a secret. You could be a garbage writer. And just because you are consistently showing up to making content in a world that's based, visibility is based on content. That's all it is, girl. Just keep putting that shit out there. It will be recognized eventually. Like, the algorithms work in such a way. Like, it's just, you know, you just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. And people are like, I remember when, like, streaming services started. And I was like, man, this is garbage. Like, th- there's so much trash. And now I'm like, oh, I will watch all of the garbage all the time because I'm invested. And you can literally put out any goddamn Marvel movie that you want. And I'll watch it. I do have my favorites. Uh, I think YTT is amazing. That Love and Thunder business was really cool. And I was shocked because there was so much queerness that happened in that movie. I love I love media, but like I, I was having an argument with my uh, an older woman friend of mine. She's like, why do you keep calling yourself a queer woman? And I was like, oh, I got it. Like, we're not represented out here. I mean, I start every single like presentation that I do by being like, I'm a queer woman so that folks can like so I normalize that shit. When I was teaching at UNH, I told my students that I was a queer woman, especially because I was teaching in the business school, too, which is a whole other story at some point. But like I wanted them to see somebody who had like bright fucking red hair and runs a business and is a queer woman and like that they didn't have to and that I didn't dress in blazers every single day. And I wanted them to be able to see that they didn't have to just become like the cookie cutter versions of themselves in order to make it in the world and like i don't have i don't know if i actually was super successful in any of that stuff but there's hope <laughs> i guess that it reached somebody it's, i mean it does it's in touchstones again like because i have these issues um where i'm like oh i'm a failure it's not working i have a fear of and it's like we just happen and people see us and it's just normalizing things that are not normal. Like four years ago when I moved here, I wanted to do a drag show and I was told I couldn't where I was working because it was considered pornographic. Okay. Now there's drag shows everywhere. Okay. We're like taking over boards at major organizations, replacing people with our people. You got to keep making pathways for the youth so they feel comfortable. Got to keep incentivizing so it's not like we're taking free labor from people who have historically we've taken free labor without their choice from before. And if you I mean, the Ibram Kendi talk at the Black New England conference was amazing. But he's like gig economy. That shit is literally forced labor. You have to just keep working at these low rates because that's the only job that you can get. I mean, so, okay, dude, don't like it was crazy. Like people come up to me and they're like we want you to run for office and I was like I don't have the money to run for office that's why we have retired out of touch people in there there's a real there's real issues like why would anybody that is in their youth 
this was really funny. Like you have all these boards that are like, we want BIPOC kids in here. And you're like, okay, cool. Like no kid who's being judged by you all the time wants to stand in a room of people that are going to judge them all the time and be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. I hate, that's not my jam. So I don't know. Anyway, rambling. Yeah. We have to give kids a reason to want to show up in those spaces. We pretty much don't. I I can't. (laughs) I don't want to show up in those spaces and I'm paid to go to board meetings. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so fascinated that you're paid to go to a board meeting. (laughs) I mean, just because I'm the consultant showing up. Oh, 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 gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I heard. Okay. Wouldn't that be fantastic, though, if people were actually one of the one of the organizations I just work with actually is building into their budget a line item to pay board members. Yeah. So and I know that like they, um, the Board of Education in Manchester also had like a two hundred dollars stipend for students and stuff. So it's really cool. It is. Yeah, yeah. Things are happening. We've like covered so much ground. My last question, just like who do you want to hear this podcast? I'll give you kind of like a little bit of my spiel. So when I like when I do my work, I think about like how we move along, move organizations along a continuum of like social justice. Like there's the organizations who are like don't even want to like touch it or even think about like systems of oppression and their role in it and so on and so forth. And then there's the other extreme, which is the folks who are really like creating like flat organizations. They're like figuring out how do you actually like dismantle systems of oppression in their work and they're they're actively doing that kind of stuff and i find that i work really well with folks who are like in the middle but more towards the radical side of things and so when i think about that i'm just like i want those people who are still who like have the language who have the ideas who have the kind of like they have some of the concepts of like a lot of the stuff we talked about today but i want to move them further along that continuum and i see like people bearing witness to a conversation like this is being able to move along that continuum. I feel you on that. And like I acknowledge that literally there's no other option that I have some legitimacy solely through the fact that I've been doing work like this for like 15 years and have written numerous papers and done countless amounts of research or whatever. But that imposter syndrome, the fact of the matter is like I literally cannot find a reason why people would most of the time when people put me in spaces I go yeah it's because I'm a token like that's all I can think I feel like most of the time people just put up with me being in spaces and so that's probably just more work that I have to do to figure out that like I I still need to work on loving myself and respecting myself but as of right now I I find it to be very useful because I have a huge ego but it keeps me down and it keeps me believing that the work is never freaking done and that I'm never stopping growth and that I'm not worth it. And that's, I have to keep like researching, studying, reading, giving space to others. It's real. Like that imposter syndrome's real. Yeah, I'm like hesitating awesome. on sending a contract because I'm just like, do these people really want to like pay me? <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, yes, they do. And fuck it. Take their money. Get out of here. No, I know. Of course I'm going to send that. But it's just like, but it's just that idea of like, oh, my God, like people, you know, and it's like I've been doing this for going on 10 years. You know what I mean? Like, and I still kind of am like, oh, people actually want to work with me. People like, holy shit. Am am I like good at this or whatever? And it's like all of those kinds of habits and like imposter, like it serves a purpose for us. And it sounds like it serves a purpose for you and that like it helps you to continue grinding 
in moving forward. Yeah. But like, yeah. Hopefully, I you're mean, you like see, loving you yourself. I do too. love myself. I just put yeah. hand lotion on. That's good for me. <laughs> um, you see leaders that are so like, it's not okay. Like, it's good for a person to be like, I'm never done. I'm down here. No matter what, there's always somebody else that could use this space. I don't know. I just, I just think that's healthy to be like, I'm totally aware that like I'm fabulous, but I don't need an award or an acknowledgement. Like the work is it. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me today. Thank you to Yasmin Safar Dezay for joining me in conversation today. If you want to learn more about her work, you can check out KimballJenkins.com, her personal website, SureThingYaz.com, or connect with her on LinkedIn. Check the show notes for links. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a five-star rating and review to help us reach more people. Make sure to follow Rise and Rouse wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss your chance to hear from someone who gives a damn. Follow us on Instagram at Rise and Rouse and sign up for my newsletter by going to allgoodstrategies.com. Rise and Rouse is created and hosted by me, Erin Allgood. It is produced and edited by Steph George of Stefania Audio. Production support from Grace Cleary Morin and Yana Krasanova. Our theme music is written and produced by Chris Marion. 